Today we kick off a series called Fruition. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Fruition. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Fruition. Fruition. And uh, obviously it brings to mind the word fruit. I was thinking about fruit and I was thinking about this spring summer season. In my home, we did something bold. We bought 10 plants. And I'm proud to say, after I think what has now been about four months, eight of 10 survived. Somebody, how many of you know that's worth a praise right there? Um, and here's what's interesting we are new to the plant thing. We, of course, know plants. We're new to the really trying hard to keep them alive thing. For some of you, that just comes more natural. For others of us, you know, we have to set reminders on our phone and we've got to strategize our weeks to hopefully, you know, make sure these things can survive. And um, we did that this summer. We're excited. We've got an 80% record. I'm feeling good about it. But I'm going to tell you that first month, some things were in question. We planted two trees and eight plants along, uh, along a small hill at the back of our property. And I'm going to tell you, we planted them. We did the whole thing right. We followed directions. No shortcuts, somebody. We got the potting soil. We mixed it with the soil that was there. We got the mulch. We were, you know, delicately talking to it. We'd whisper, you're a good plant. You're a good plant. I had read, you know, so we're doing, okay, maybe I didn't do that, but we're, we're bringing them to life. We're pouring water, and then what happens? We're just waiting. I would just look at the plants. We'd stare, and my wife, being incredibly optimistic, was like, I think they're dead. I think they're dead. Are you sure they're alive? I'm like, it's, it's been a day. Let's just wait, all right? Let's check out. We'll come back tomorrow. And sure enough, a water, water. Well, then, three weeks in. I saw a leaf, and then another leaf, and so I knew the plant is alive. There was fruit. These aren't fruit plants. I'm not getting anything special from them. They're not vegetable plants, not getting any veggies, but there was a life. I felt so excited, but I noticed, like I said, we're 80%. I noticed with two, the 20%. I was extra patient. I was like, well, maybe they're just late bloomers, right? Maybe it's going to kick in at some point, and so... Uh, I would still put miracle Grow. We'd still water heavily. And I noticed, man, I'm, I'm pretty patient, okay? Now it's been a couple months and still nothing. Sure enough, finally, I'd given it up. I walk over, and I just lightly pull on them, and they come right up. I mean, like, I'm not saying a heavy pull, right? Just a nice whoop. And those suckers were like, we're ready to die. You know, they just, they just jumped right up. They had no fruit. They had no life. They had no roots. There's no roots where they could get the quote-unquote essential nutrients to bring forth fruit. Paul, the apostle, one of the most infamous evangelists ever, church planters ever, wrote several of the letters in our New Testament. And he's writing to a church in Gaul. I'm not going to go history on you, but the Galatian church in Europe at the time, and he's writing to them. He writes a letter, and he gets five chapters in, kind of nearing the end of the letter, and he describes some characteristics 
about a life rooted in Christ. That a life rooted, right, having a root system in Christ, that there's some fruit to show of it. Like if we're a plant that we're getting the water, we're getting the miracle grow, what do plants do? For the most part, they just receive, right? But they're positioned to receive. So they're faithful, they're consistent, they've got, you know, an aim before them for us, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. Well, Paul writes and he says, listen, if that's the case, you're going to bear fruit. It's not something you got to fake it. It's not like masks you got to wear to appear a specific way. No, it just organically happens. I was thinking about it this week as well. So I thought about the royal family for the first time in a long family, or in a long time, excuse me, with the, with the queen passing. And I saw some of their behavior. Some of it really I appreciate. For those of you who don't know, I grew up in a British commonwealth called South Africa. So my parents had, let me say this, a strong affection for the royal family. So it passed on to us. And so I always had a little bit of interest in it. But I thought to myself, it is quite humorous to watch the tradition play out. But I realized it's different. I didn't, I didn't grow up as royalty or in a royal family. But from birth, these people were trained. They've been practicing etiquette. They've been positioning themselves. So if you punch them in the face, you get a royal response. You also probably got, you get shot, but that's a separate story. You know? what, what happens is when you, when, you, when you position them with difficulty, royalty comes out. Think of what a special day today is. And I can't help always on September 11th to reflect at the first responders, the New York City Fire Department. If you're familiar, of course you're familiar. But watching some of the documentaries and some of the stories, I mean, it gives me goosebumps to see as people are rushing out, an entire fire department is going where? They're running in. You want to ask yourself, well, did that come naturally? I'm guessing it probably didn't when they first started. But after they studied and after they practiced and after they gained some experience and after a while they started having mentors that were wiser that had lived life a little bit in the department, they took, who they took their cues from, and guess what? When a tragedy struck like that, they weren't found rush, rushing or running out. They were what? Rushing in. It's almost like if you cut them open, that's what they bleed. You position me in some of those circumstances, you're going to see a pastor well-trained. I'm going to pray <laughs> as I move myself in a different direction. But we also know when it doesn't work out. Think of, right? It's become kind of infamous. I remember several years ago, a cruise ship in the Greek islands wrecked. It went too close to the land and a flood and the ship started sinking. And in an infamous story, the captain bailed. He took off. Which, how many of you know, I don't know a lot about the sea rules. But what I do know is, if you're the captain, you're supposed to be the last person to go. And he was the first one to go. 
It was just so strange. It was so unorthodox. Well, here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm getting at. As Christians, when we face experiences any given day, all sorts of different arenas of life, Paul would say our reactivity, our response is a witness to the one we follow. Paul would say that those rooted in Christ bear fruit. Holy Ghost Spirit fruit. Now, are we perfect? You just have to go on one trip on Labor Day weekend to Tulsa, Oklahoma to know I'm not perfect on a drive that's over 12 hours long. But we're moving in a direction and we're yielding a life and we're wanting the long game of our relationships, our workplaces to be a witness to the one we follow. And so Galatians, it brings to us specifically what these fruits are. Some of you, you have them memorized. You, you know them right off the bat. But it's this. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So what do we ask as, a, you know, Americans? We ask, is this true during an election year? And the answer is yes. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in every arena of our lives. In every relationship of our lives, Paul is saying the fruit of the Spirit are these things. Every relationship, every friendship, every conversation should be an opportunity, an invitation to showcase the fruit, the love of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the patience of Christ, the goodness of Christ to the world around us. Sometimes I wonder to myself that has the witness of the church been hurt because we've made idols of other things than kept our focus fixed on Christ because God's end game with you and me is that we are Christ-like, that we're discipled, that we're formed into his image. And as his image bears, we're on display, even when it's people we disagree with. Even when it's our quote-unquote enemies, God calls us to bear fruit. And Paul, as he's writing in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, Paul's writing and he, he's coming off of just, just kind of listing out what we would call the, the fruit of the flesh. Which, if you've ever wondered, you don't really have to work hard to have the fruit of the flesh showing in your life. No, I'm not saying that personally about you. I'm just saying that for, for all of us, right? That, that, that just kind of comes with the territory of our sin nature. It's not, it didn't require a whole lot of practice, if you know what I mean. It was just kind of, hey, this is who I am. Welcome to the party. And it was the fruit of our flesh. And so Paul's, Paul's written those as well. And I, I want to list those out real quick. It's, it's the acts of the flesh. And here's what Paul said. Day obvious. Like, 
they, we just see it. It's all over the place. He's like, it's obvious. What does he say? He says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, ooh, discord, jealousy, ooh, fits of road rage. I mean, rage. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And Paul, what does he do? As a good pastor, as a good shepherd of this church, he says, I warned you as I did before. He's coming around again. He already warned him. He's coming back again. That those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul's not dropping that as a guilt. Paul's not dropping, dropping that as like, hey, here's some passive-aggressive manipulation. No, Paul's just warning them. He's saying it's impossible, it's impossible to be an apple tree that bears apples to suddenly switch and bear grapes. Like, that makes no sense. It just doesn't happen. And so Paul's saying... You're not perfect, but part of what we call the sanctification process, the journey of relationship and abiding with God transforms us, sometimes a little slowly, sometimes it's quite rapidly, but what begins to happen is we are maturing in Christ, and so what was the old ways of living, we've now crucified them, as Paul's about to say. And we've now given ourselves over to Christ. And over time, being in community, reading God's word, meeting with him through prayer, fixing our eyes on Jesus, Paul's saying, it's not that you even have to practice or strive. No, he's saying you're like a tree. You position yourself. It's just going to happen. And I can testify to that fact. I've been a pastor for many years, and you guys are getting the good stuff. When I was a youth pastor just starting out, man, I was mean. I was preaching to teens, telling them how bad they were, how they don't measure up, and it's a wonder they came back, but free pizza will get you there, okay? I look back at, at, at some of my, my, my early messages and I think to myself, almost every pastor I know has some sermons from way back when they regret. I realized that it wasn't anything I strive towards. It wasn't anything I just tried to make happen. But I realized as I grew in my relationship with the Lord, as I grew for me in my understanding of His love for me, slowly but surely began to pass onto others. My grace reached a new threshold where at times it may have been way down here. Now it can grow. We can have more grace, more kindness, more patience. I've not always been a patient person. I still have my moments. But I've learned over time, man, this is who God has called for us to be. And so you may be familiar, there's a good chance you're familiar with these nine fruit of the Spirit. But over the next several weeks, I want to bring attention to them again. Because what I realize is, 
for you and for me, chances are this week, the only Bible any of our culture is going to read is your and my life. It's not this. You know, I idealistically think, oh, everybody's downloaded the Bible app. And, you know, our cultures, that's what they're doing on their phones as they're driving down. They're, they're doing a Bible plan. You know, like, no, they're cussing somebody out. You know what I mean? They're they, they, they doing something other than that. But what, 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 am, what am I getting at? Is I'm, get, I'm getting a bit as we, as a church, grow in our relationship with the Lord, it begins to have a great effect on the people and the lives and the relationships around us. It's called bearing fruit. Something Kelly and I talk about all the time. All the time is we say, you know, the fruit of people's lives has never let us down. Never let us down. Sometimes the temptation is to seek wisdom from the most appealing information. But I always think to myself, okay, what's the fruit behind the information I'm getting? Right? What's the fruit of the people's lives? Because what I know is, what am I getting into? I'm getting into their character that has been, not deformed, forgive me, their character that has been formed in the image of Christ. So I've always, always had as a dream of our church is that we are multiple generations Because a generation, man, this thing called faith and relationship with God, it's a long obedience. We need people that have been following Christ for 45 years, 55. We have them in this church. Why do we need? Because when we're in our 20s, how many of you know everything's an emergency? Every single thing we hit the paint. When you're a teen, your wardrobe is an emergency. Like, what am I wearing today? Oh, my gosh. So would your parents lovingly come alongside and say, Zip your lip, put it on, let's go. It's not that big of a deal. Patiently and lovingly, of course, okay? With demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit with your teenage daughters. But, amen. But the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is what God is cultivating in our lips. Because here's what I've known. When I've, when, I've, when I've witnessed to others, when I've shared the love of Christ with others, do you want to know what's opened the door and what continues to open the door? Character, not charisma. Character, not charisma. I remember years ago, Kelly had to tell me the story. Years ago, she was serving tables and um, building relationship with, with some of the other servers and backroom staff, and they knew that Kelly had character. She was consistent. She was faithful. Was she perfect? Absolutely. But she loved people, met people where they were. You know, in some scenarios, in some of your workplaces, what people have gone through in life is traumatic, terrible. But she would just remind them, God loves you. Let me pray for you. Well, one particular summer, she said, "Um, the denomination will rename nameless. But somebody getting their pastoral credentials was also serving tables. And his operating system was, he would go slapping people around at sinners, how disgusting and bad they were, how they're going to hell, and then slapping them with the Bible on top. Okay, that's one method. I'll give him that. But that closed more doors than it ever opened. And sometimes, 
the people closest to us we're looking to reach, our fruit, our character is letting it down. And so Paul's challenging, he's charging the church in Galatians, stay in step with the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit and the fruit will come. You stay in step with idols, it also has fruit. It's the truth. If we make money mammon a God, man, how many of you know anxiety is not far behind? Fear is not far behind. Competitiveness, jealousy, envy, strife, discord. It's not far behind. We make anything an idol but Christ, oh man, that's going to reap a harvest in our lives. So Paul, he's not like, hey, figure it out. Practice becoming more patient. You know, the, the, the church joke, don't pray for patience because God's going to test you. You know, he's going to give it. He's going to give it. You're going to be waiting for some things. But the reality is, man, when we can fix our eyes, when we can focus on Jesus, when we can sit and be in relationship with him, the fruit's going to come about. So, I've got about five minutes left to talk on the first fruit. The first fruit is love. Love. Love is listed first and foremost by the Apostle Paul. If you're familiar at all with Paul's writing, this doesn't come as a surprise. Paul often spoke on love. And he's getting his cues from his King Jesus. Because Jesus would say in the Gospels, we could bring up John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says this. He says, listen, I don't care how much you know. I care how much you care. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Loving one another. John 15, 7. Jesus again. This is my command. What's he getting at? You can read it. Love who? Each other. Jesus intended for the body of Christ, the community of the redeemed, the uh, royal priesthood, that Peter calls it in his books, the royal priesthood would be a witness. And first and foremost, what would be on the table is love. Pharisees, scribes, religious leaders of the day 2,000 years ago, here was their kingdom economy. If this is right, you're good. Jesus comes along and says, if this is right, this is right. It's not vertical alone. It's horizontal. It's not just you and God. No, you and God directly implicates your marriage, directly implicates your parenting, that really directly implicates your singleness, somebody? It has major implications for our lives. Jesus says they're not two separate. You can't serve God and, you know, live how you want. No, he says your love for God directly implicates others. And so Jesus says love, love, love is the key. One of my fav- favorite parables, and I'll close with this. One of my favorite parables... Luke 10, 30 through 37, an expert in the law approaches Jesus, or he approaches them and says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives them this description in a story, Luke 10, 30 through 37. 
man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on where? The other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus' response is, go and do likewise. We can bring up the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. The priest in this story is a representation of right ceremonial worship. Religiously right standing with God. And what does he do? He avoids the man. So he's got the vertical correct but the horizontal, there's a breakdown. The Levite now, it's different than ceremonial worship. The Levite knew the Bible. He had memorized not only the first five books of the Bible, but the prophets and the Torah, the whole thing. The Levites were brilliantly, brilliantly aware, had tremendous social standing. And Jesus brings up the priest and the Levite. Look at that. Religiously bound to Torah and the prophet avoids the man. His reasons are a little bit different than the priest. His reasons are, man, it says in the Bible, I can't be near people that have blood. And so for religious reasons, he says, I cannot love. Isn't that remarkable? And then the Samaritan, you're familiar possibly with the story. Samaritans are despised by Jews. If you were visiting a different portion of Israel and, you, uh, and Samaria was right in the middle, you would extend your journey to go around. Jesus was phenomenal. He taught the disciples, no, let's go through. There was hatred, major animosity, despised. It was, it was the, 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 the worst of the worst. And Jesus brings up and says, look, The person who, in your mind, has the ceremonial worship wrong is actually the one showing the love of God to others. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. One of my personal stories is if I am a pastor but have not love, it's pretty pointless. 
And I'm a pastor, but a poor dad. I gain nothing. And I remember a few years ago, in my quiet times, when they started being interrupted by pitter-patter feet walking up the stairs, a rush of adrenaline would come through my body. I'm about to be interrupted. And I would respond in frustration. I would respond with snarky, angry comments. I know. It isn't good. My daughters couldn't see. It's impossible to say, listen, honey, I'm in prayer and Bible study. Get out of the room! <laughs> They're like, uh, what? who is this guy? But in the same hand, it's impossible to witness to a coworker when our lives aren't showing evidence of the love of Christ. And so my prayer and my encouragement is real simple. Make love the mark of maturity. When you think of spiritual things, you think of community, and you think of church life, and you think of your relationships, your friendships, and even in your workplace, it will come at a cost. But make love the mark of maturity. Make love the mark of maturity. Make love the fruit of your life. In an information age, we're consumed with information and being a know-it-all, so to speak. On social media, make love the mark of maturity. In family gatherings, when people get together that you're on opposite sides of the political, the spiritual, economical, ethical lines, they should know what to expect from us Christians. That as much as we disagree, they're going to get love. At the end of the day, by golly, they're going to get some goodness. They're not going to get a pointed finger. They're not going to get a condescending tone. We're not going to get chippy. They're going to get love and kindness. And when we fail, we apologize, we get back up, and we get going with our love. Make love the mark of maturity. Here's a few questions I ask. The first one's <clears throat> a game changer. But over the last decade, I'll ask myself these sorts of questions from time to time. Sometimes I give a lot of time between asking the questions, as you'll see. But what's it like to be on the other side of me is one of my questions. Another one of my questions, am I consumed with being right or loving well? That can save a lot of relationships. In this situation, what does love look like? Like, hey, I'm about to post something, right? Or I'm about to share something that was posted, or I'm about to snap back or respond or react, what would love look like? I mean, it'd be crazy if there were bracelets that said WWJD. Wouldn't that be nuts? And like, if they became a phenomenon and had the whole culture asking, what would Jesus do? That would be pretty amazing. But the people actually did it. It'd be astounding. Hey, in this moment of intense road rage, I'm going to take a breath. What would Jesus do 
What does love look like? A couple other questions. Have I listened well? Then a big one for me. Do I have time for others when I can't receive anything from them? Relationships then aren't scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Relationships that are just purely loved well. So here's here's my proposition. Here's what I want to invite you into today. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Take some time this week to spend time in his presence. I would recommend daily if you can. And at that, I'd recommend two times a day to slow down to remove distractions, and to simply receive God's love. Sometimes that's reading scripture. Sometimes that's just sitting in silence. And you're thinking, that sounds ridiculous. And I'm thinking, it could just change your life. (laughs) Putting the phone away, meeting in the Lord's presence. Here's what you and I are used to. We're used to achieving things. We're used to achieving things in our life. You're not going to achieve the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it'll probably go backwards if you try to achieve it. You can only receive it like you received your salvation. The fruit of the Spirit comes. How do you receive it? By being in God's presence, by fixing your gaze on Him, by worshiping, by praying, by coming next week and hearing about the next fruit. It's something received, and then what happens is not immediately... But over time, we get that elbow in the ribs. And instead of our famous four flying out of our mouth, we're able to say, God bless you. When the easy button's pushed and everything wants to come out, we're able to say, it's okay, God's got it. It's remarkable. But here's what I know. Over these next few weeks, we're going to take these fruit that are called the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to investigate and we're going to examine them. We're going to remind ourselves. We're going to renew our mind. This is what God has called for us to look like, called for us to behave like, called for us to treat one another. Amen? With love, with goodness, with joy, with peace, with patience. And slowly but surely, we're going to grow into maturity. So here's what's going to happen. In our workplace, as our words come out, people can have confidence in them because they've seen our character. Amen? Amen?